I woke up this morning with a normal feeling for me. It felt like sadness, but more like hunger than anything else. The closest word for it is empty. Whatever the feeling was, I wanted it to go away. Within an hour of waking up, this feeling's usually gone. Coffee can do it, catching up on sports, and by the time I check my email, I'm good. At least I'm full for the present. The feeling, whatever it was, is gone. But quite easily, I slip back into the emptiness. If not the next hour, the next day. Technology gives me the quickest, most instantly gratifying fill. That's why I like social media. All I really need is one like on Instagram, and I'm golden. Facebook can do it too, as long as it's about me. And I look on Twitter to get my sarcasm fill for the day. It doesn't really take much, but it doesn't really last long either. If social media doesn't do it, music always fills me up especially when I'm driving. I got my tunes, the open road, and I can listen to whatever I want. I rock the same songs over and over again. I was empty. Now I'm filled. I have millions of ways to fill up. I didn't even mention TV, movies, or beach vacations. Alcohol, cars, home improvements, accolades at work. Whatever I want, I can have it. With the touch of a button or the drop of a hat, the world is at my fingertips. I can fill myself with whatever I want, cash pending. All I have to do is convince myself that it's good to eat and desirable for food. Then it's just a matter of plucking my choice fruit from the tree. No wonder I don't need God to be filled. I'm already full. Convicting, huh? You ever gone without a cell phone for a whole day? It's like withdrawal symptoms, you know? Well, hi, I'm John Miller, and uh, Pastor James uh, might introduce me, but he's at Kearney uh, preaching there and uh, spending time with the folks there. But uh, he asked uh, me to come and, and share the word with you this morning, and I'm honored to do so. Uh, I've been in a special group with Pastor James for the last 10 years. We called it a covenant group. And uh, there were five of us in that, in that group. One has passed away, but uh, it's an accountability group where we just kind of share our life and honest with each other. And uh, we hang out enough to, to know each other really, really well and tell each other the truth. And um, it's been a blessing to have uh, Pastor James in that group and ministering in my life over the last decade. So I love that guy a lot. Shauna are very, very special people. So 
God asked me to deliver the word this morning, and um, what has come to my mind of late uh, is the fact that we live in the midst of a very topsy-turvy world, a world filled with conflict, agitation, and uh, Christians are supposed to be at peace. We're supposed to live at, at peace and have peace in our soul, and yet so much of the conflict of the world infest itself in our life and it's scary and, and you know there's always something coming down the pike that uh, to disrupt us uh, you know hey the latest thing is, is, is monkey pox you heard about that oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's monkey pox I mean just when we think we're getting over one thing something else is coming down and uh, for us to be worried about and uh, it's very frustrating I think we just live in a world of, of agitation and conflict. Political conflict? We can't even talk about politics anymore, can we? Not that it was great that we talked about it before necessarily, but we can't even talk to family members hardly about the subject. There's so much division in that area today. It's a, it's a messed up culture. And yet in the midst of that messed up culture, God has called us to experience his peace, his contentment. And I want to talk about that today because uh, we all feel the instability and it can create fear, can create anxiety, and a lot more of us are anxious than ever before. To try to find a place of stability, we like it to be the home. And you know what? Our homes ought to be an oasis from the craziness. And yet, Satan is going, okay, I'm going to work on the home life. Whenever you see conflict in the home, uh, take it as, as the devil's working on you guys. He's working on us. And uh, we need to maybe husband and wife gather the family together and say, okay, here's the deal. We want our family to be an oasis from the volatile world, the world of conflict, the world of hatred, the world of unforgiveness. We want, when, we, when we're home, we want this house, this place where we live, be a place of peace, kindness, forgiveness, good communication. When we hurt each other, we make it right. We resolve conflicts when they occur. And I encourage you to have a family discussion where you say, hey, when you go to school, there's conflict there. Go to work, there's conflict there. You listen to the news, I mean, it's all over the place. So let this place be an oasis. Just a word from you, for, for you. Um, I want to talk about discovering the secret of contentment because there's a secret about it that I think the Bible reveals. It was Paul who wrote in 62 AD from a musty prison cell in the city of Rome, he wrote these words, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circle. What, really? He did? He learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I just learned to be content. I'm going, okay, what, what did you learn? What's the secret? I want to know it. So just did a little study, and I've got three thoughts for you this morning 
as to, and, and I think these are three enemies that try to rob us of contentment, rob us of peace. And I'm talking about peace in your heart and my heart today, Sunday. Because uh, I really think the enemy is out to just cause disruption in our soul and a conflict in our soul, agitation within us. So we can't have that peace. And God, Jesus promised it. When Jesus was in the upper room, he told his disciples, he said this, peace I leave with you. When I leave, I'm leaving peace with you. My peace, I'm going to give it to you. In other words, it's a gift. So I don't give it the way the world does. The world gives a plastic peace, a temporary peace, a peace that looks like it's going to be the answer, but then it fizzles out and it's, it's like eating potato chips on a, on a hot day in the desert with no water. Uh, you know, it looked good when I began, but now I'm thirstier than ever because the world can't, can't give us what the soul, the soul's thirsty for God. So he says, I've learned this, this secret, and, and Jesus said, I, I, came, I came to give you peace. So if he came to give us peace, we ought to be able to have that peace. And I know it means peace with God through Jesus Christ, but I think it also means a, an inner peace, a settledness, a settledness in your soul. And the word uses the word, the Bible uses the word contentment. I love that word, content. Are you content? Contentment? Um, it's a beautiful word, and yet we're robbed of it today. Let me, let me share with you three enemies, three enemies that can rob us of peace and contentment. First is guilt and regret can enslave us to the past. Well, well sure, because we have memory. And most of us have, or all of us, have memories of things that we could have done, should have done, would have done, didn't do. Uh, things we did that we regret, oh my goodness, I did it and I feel guilty about it or, or I, I should have done this or whatever it might be. And those things can rob us of peace. We keep thinking about it. I mean, how can you have peace if your eyes are always on the rearview mirror? I mean, think about it. You're driving down the road and you're fixated on the rearview mirror. You're looking in the past. You're looking at where you've been. That's dangerous for one thing. We can get it wrecked that way. And yet some of us drive the car of life that way. Just always looking back, feeling guilty, wished we could have done this and that. And uh, God doesn't want us to live that way. The Lord doesn't want us to live that way. Uh, it was Paul who said uh, in Philippians 3, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lay behind and I reach forward and it lies ahead. So Paul says, I forget what lay behind. Now, what are some things that Paul had to forget? Obviously, we were to, were to remember the past so we don't repeat it. And, and there are good memories and, and, you know, that we can appreciate and thank God for. But it's the, it's the negative memories that can haunt us. Well, Paul... When his name was Saul of Tarsus, he went around persecuting Christians, went around looking for Christians to incarcerate, throw into jail, torture, even kill. Like Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church. There's Paul. His name was Saul then. He's standing and everybody's throwing their cloak at the feet of Saul. He was the head of the whole thing and he was 
happy to see Stephen get stoned to death. How would you like to live with that memory? It's like murder. Like, live with the fact you murdered somebody. So he said, I, you know what? I realize all that, but I also understand the grace of God. That God is greater than all my sins. God's grace is greater than all my sins. And he has forgiven me. Because most of us have things we regret, past issues. I love Lamentations. You know, this is this book written by Jeremiah. It's called A Lament. And uh, in the, it's kind of sorrowful. Um, but in the middle of it, there's a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, statement. Some verses there, and it goes this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies never come to an end. Never come to an end. They're new every morning. I love that because there it is, Sunday morning. And God, I'm just grateful for your mercy. Because <laughs> yesterday wasn't so good. And yet you're so kind and so loving. And, and so you don't live in the past. And God doesn't live in the past. You know what he wants to know right now, today? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? He's not looking at your track record. He's saying, where's your heart? Well, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to get this right. I want to honor you as my life. And I um, want to submit to you. He says, good. All right, great. Let's go. I've got a life for you to live. I've got things for you to do. I, I have a fulfilling life for you. Now, you could say, yeah, but look at my past. Look what I, where I've been. Look who I am. God says, no, no, no. I know who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Let's go. Take my hand. Let's go. He's excited. He's not looking at you as, as a second-class Christian because of where you've been or what you've done. He's just excited to be with you and to use you for his glory and walk with you through life. That's the truth about, about how God looks at you. In Colossians 2.13, it says, when, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, when, when you were without me and you were in sin, he made you alive together with him. You know, the resurrection. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us most of our transgressions. Did I read it right? Having forgiven us almost all of our transgressions. No. Having forgiven us all of them. Past, present, future. You say, how can that be? How can that be? Because God is a magnanimous God, a gracious God, a kind God, a loving God, a forgiving God. Cults do not understand that verse. Anybody working their way to heaven in some kind of religion doesn't fully understand that verse. And I'll tell you why. I had a couple of, couple of people talk to me one day and say, well, that can't be. Because if God forgiven all your sins and you know you're going to heaven, I said, yes, I, I, I believe that I'm going to heaven uh, uh, on the back of Jesus because of what he did in dying for my sins. Yeah, but if he died for all your sins, that means you could go out and, and sin up a storm and you'd still go to heaven. 
That's the way they look at it. Because it's, they're working their way to heaven. And I said to him, I said, you know what? That's not my attitude as, his, as God's child. I don't think of it as I'm going to take advantage of him now. I'm just going to go sin and do every dirty deed I can think of because I'll go to heaven anyway. That's not in my mindset. I'm, I'm thinking, God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. I, I want to honor you in my life. I don't want to take advantage of that. And when I do, I, re, I, I feel horrible about it and I repent of it. And, and that's, that's the right attitude that we have. In other words, I'm so grateful for your endless grace that I want to honor you. And when I don't, I bow before you in brokenness and, uh, and thank you that your mercies are new every morning. It's amazing. Well, that Colossians 2, 13 is followed by Colossians 2, 14. That says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He nailed all our sins on that cross that day 2,000 years ago. All our sins were future then. And he died for every one of them. It's amazing, this, this grace. And so somebody said, well, Pastor John, you don't know. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. Yeah, I don't know you. But God knows you inside and out. And he still died for every sin. Well, there's an interesting couplet of verses, three verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 that go this way. Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh-oh, that sounds scary. The unrighteous will not because we feel unrighteous many times. Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Then he delineates what he's talking about. He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. That's, so fornicators, sexual sin. Uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Okay, these are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. No, well, he goes on. The list goes on. Nor thieves. You ever stolen anything? Nor the covetous. Ever wanted something so bad that somebody else had? You just feel so jealous, covetous? Or drunkards? You ever been drunk? Ever been high on anything? That's being drunk. Nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, what this means is those who live habitually this way, kind of thumbing their nose at God. This is who I am. This is the way I'm going to live. Forget you, God. Not interested. The Bible says that person's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But there's another verse. The next verse says, such were some of you. And you could say that about us here today. Yeah, such were some of you. You were living that way. You were in the heat of it, just living that way but you were washed, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were cleansed. You, yeah, it was dirty stuff, stuff we don't even want to talk about, but God washed you, he cleaned you up. He, he, uh, he sanctified you. What is that? He, he, well, it's, it's the word holy, the word hagias. Sanctified means holy. He set you, it's, it means two things. He set you apart from the world and he set you apart to God. So apart from, apart to. 
from the things of the world, you know, groveling in the dirt like a uh, caterpillar. And then he, he, he transformed your life. And, you know, as the transformation goes, the butterfly, becoming a butterfly, a new creation in Christ. Hey, it doesn't mean we don't dip back into the old world. Yeah, we as believers who have the spirit of the living God, our, temp our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we can still revert and slip back into the old ways. By being a true child of God, we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We confess our sin to him. We make it right. We get back right with God. But it says that you were sanctified and you were justified. Justified? Yeah. Made right with God. That's what it means. You were made right with the one who made you. It's amazing. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You know, God's gracious promise to Israel, and I, I love this, but in uh, the book of Joel said this to Israel, I'm going to restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten. And I believe God is able to heal us, to restore the year. We, we, we've, some of us have lived wasted time, even to the point of wasted years in, in some instances. But the Lord says, I can restore, I can heal, I can make new. I love that verse. I, I take it personal. It's gracious. It's got gracious promise. So God is concerned where your heart is right now. And he doesn't want us to live in the rearview mirror. He wants us to remember so we won't repeat, but not to live there. The second concern here, and the second thing that can rob us of peace right now today is fear and anxiety can cause us to fixate on the future. Now, man, who knows the future? Has anybody checked the 401k lately? I mean, if you happen to have one, it's just tanking like crazy. And if you're trusting in finances today, uh, unless you're sitting on a gold mine or something, uh, you're going to be going, man, I don't know. How much money is enough for the future? The way prices are going. <laughs> I went and got gas the other day, and uh, you know I've got a Nissan Altima, and, and I filled it up, and then you know seventy something bucks. Like, That's not right. This is highway robbery. I, I went into Circle K. I went inside, and said, "Hey, something's wrong with your pump." <laughs> and uh, she looks at me, and she said, "Okay, well, how much? How many gallons? Let's go. Here, here's how much. You know, four fifty-five. Okay, well, here's how much it is. What?" It can't be, and yet it is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, I walked out there going, oh, okay. Now uh, I uh, have met reality myself, my own car. Sheesh, what is the future going to hold? Well, I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I do know who holds the future for me. And, and that's our trust in the Lord, who's going to take care of us. Otherwise, we are going to get anxious. We are going to be fearful. What will happen to me? What will happen to me? What will happen to my kids? Da, 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 da. It goes on and on and on. You know, I mean, I think of the Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know, we become fearful of everything. And as we know, fear and anxiety can bring on illness and sickness and 
all kinds of physical and mental issues simply because there's no rest there. There's this worry. There's this worry. Well, there's what we need to trust God. There's a verse that is, I believe, kept me alive on various times. I got asthma years ago. It's because when I started Northwest Bible Church, I was pastor there 35 years. I never, never thought I'd last that long. But at the early beginning of it, I was straining and striving and trying to live up to what other people thought I, how they thought I should live. I got, I got asthma. almost died from it. And there's a verse that kept me alive in the middle of the night when I got so anxious, and it's this verse, Isaiah 41.10, where God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I, I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will, I will help you. Surely I will hold you up. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I claimed that verse, and I studied that verse, and I incorporated that verse into my thinking and my soul um, to mitigate the anxiety I was feeling. John, don't fear. I'm here. I'm with you. Don't, don't anxiously look about you. Man, I'm telling you, this saved my life on several occasions. Literally, the truth of it. The, and that's just the, the it. It's the God behind the it, of course. The God behind the verse. There's a verse that uh, we often quote, be anxious for nothing. You know, which some translations say, don't worry about anything. You know, some people come to that verse, they go, oh man, it's easy for you to say. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. Well, Paul said that, by the way, when he was in prison. That's a, in, in Philippi, he was in prison at the, at the time, and, and he uh, prayed that, he, he said that. Well, there's an antidote there. I want you to see it. He, he's not saying just don't worry about anything and then leaving it. He's saying, no, I don't want you to be anxious. Here's what I want you to do to mitigate that anxiety. In everything, I want you to go to the God who is greater than your problem. I want you to go to prayer. I want you to, you got the, you got the problem, here's the problem solver, and I want you to go to him, and I want you to make supplication. Supplication is pleading. It's pleading with God. It's earnest. Earnestly coming before God. I mean, where your heart and soul really get into it. And just saying, Lord, you know, I... I need you in this moment, and I'm just coming before you. And it says, do it with thanksgiving. What? How, how, how does thanksgiving correlate to anxiety? Here, I'm anxious, and I'm supposed to be thankful. How, how's that fit? Well, it certainly gets my mind off myself. And what's thanksgiving about? It's something like this. Lord, I, I'm really going through something right now, but you know what? You have a great track record with my life. When I look back on how you've cared for me, you've got me out of a lot of scrapes, a lot of tough moments, and I want to thank you for that. And I want to believe that you can get me out of this one because my mind's going crazy. But I want to believe that you're going to get me through it. See, and I'm, I'm thankful for your faithfulness in my life through the years. You express gratefulness to God, that's powerful. And it does something to our spirit that helps Deal with that anxiety. Um, and it, it goes on, it says, and let your request be made known to God. So I'm making my request. 
for God to deliver me in this anxious moment. And man, anxiety is a scary thing. I never was anxious before I got asthma, and I wondered other people's issues when they got anxious. I go, I don't understand, you know, why, why that person's, you know, really scared and really terrified. And, and now I, I get it. I, I understand. But notice what it says. If, if you go to God in this way that I'm describing here and that he's describing, then the next verse will be true. And the peace of God, there's that peace that we need. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. You know, your neighbor is looking at you going through a trial and a struggle. It's pretty big. Maybe there's a loss, a tragedy. And, but there's a peace about you. Not that you're not hurting from all you've gone through, but there's a settledness in your soul. He, he goes, man, what is that? It passes understanding because it's supernatural. It, it comes from God. It can only come from God. It, just, it doesn't make sense from just a natural standpoint. And that peace will guard your heart, your emotions in that moment, and your mind, your thinking. He'll help you with right thinking in that moment in Christ Jesus. Beautiful verse. Beautiful couplet of verses there. So as we think about the future, we need to realize this. That God loves us. He's watching over us. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your need because I'm a loving father. My God will supply all your need according to his riches. Now, how rich is God? Because it's only according to his riches. It's limited by his riches. Yeah, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. He has untold wealth, so in a way, it's interesting the way this is put. He'll supply your needs only according to his riches, which is limitless. <laughs> or he's got plenty to care for you. But he'll supply for your needs. Not, he's not talking about your wants here. We get lots of wants in our life in America. Many wants. Not all we want, but <laughs> we get some wants. But he says, I'm going to supply your needs, your basic needs of life. So as we look into the future, we got to trust our father. He wants to be a good father to us. He wants to show us that he's a good father to us. But he wants us to express faith in him when we don't have all those things ready. I mean, if you're stockpiled for the future, then you're going to trust in your stockpile. Unless a fire comes and brings, you know, burns up your stockpile or... Uh, the banks, you know, there's a run on the banks and all your money goes away. Well, we cannot trust in the things of this earth. The, the moth and the rust just eat it up. We've got to put our trust in the Lord who says, I'll be there. Hey, I'll be there with you in the future. I'll take care of you. Would you quiet your, your troubled heart? Would you rest now? Trust me. Yes, we, you don't see how it all adds up. I know. But I love you, and I'll care for you. Yeah. Again, Paul says to the believers in Philippi, he says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So, you know, the Lord began a good work in us. 
And he's going to continue it. He promises. He's, he's, he's going to be there. And it's through thick and thin. I mean, it's, it's through hard times. You know, Psalm 23 that most of us know well. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, David sees himself as a sheep. And he's being led by the, by the shepherd, Jesus, God, through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, because sheep are very vulnerable. And apparently there are enemies out there that would like to come and eat sheep. And he says, I'm not going to fear evil. And why? Because thou art with me. Because you are with me. That's why we don't fear evil. It's not because we, we don't have all we, all we want or everything's all set up. It's because the God who made me, the God who saved me, the God who loves me, is with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Whatever the future is, he'll be with me. And I'm trusting him by faith. Can't see him. Many times I don't feel him, but I'm trusting in him. And God loves it when we just flat out trust in him. So there, there it is. There's two of them. Let me give you a, a third one. You know, guilt and regret can enslave us to the past. Fear and anxiety cause us to fixate on the future. How, how can you have peace? How can you have contentment if we're looking back and looking forward all the time? But thirdly, <clears throat> lies that we tell ourselves prevent present peace. We can tell lies to ourselves. And two of the greatest lies we can tell ourselves is to lie about who we are, not tell, our, not tell the truth about who we are, and who God is. To have a distorted picture of ourselves and a distorted picture of God. Yeah. Some of us, we, we begin to, we become a Christian somewhere along the line, and then we build our theology, our thinking about God, based on what we already think about God. From our growing up days, from wherever we came from. I met some people after the first service that came from a, a very legalistic background. Oh, man, it was, it was, it was a hard life. Uh, and it was religion. It was, it was a legalism. And that's how they saw God. And that's how their family saw God, very legalistic and hard and harsh. You could never truly please God. Um, if you've grown, if you're growing up, have you grown up in a more of a work-based home or a grace-based home? Because it makes a difference on how you see yourself and how you see God. And you need to kind of look at that. Because some of us, it's the only home we grew up in, so we don't tend to evaluate it, we think, well, that's just the way it is. And then we think, wow, is the Father God like my earthly father? He was distant. Maybe he was abusive. Um, maybe we had a strained relationship. Maybe he was harsh. Maybe, maybe there was some kind of abuse in, in life. Wow. And I tend to think that God is that way. So we need to kind of cleanse ourselves from that distorted view of God and look to the truth and learn who the Father in heaven really is. And we've been talking about him. And you hear a lot about the true God 
right here from this pulpit. Man, we need to keep telling ourselves that. If you come from a grace-based home, it's a beautiful thing where there was discipline, but it wasn't overly done. It doesn't mean it felt good, but there was forgiveness. When you saw your mom and dad argue, they, they tended to resolve their conflict. Um, you know, when you completed uh, work, there was well done. Or you need to finish that, but that's okay, you know. Um, in other words, you grew up in kind of a normal, grace-based home. Some of us didn't. And if you didn't, that's the view of God you can catch. And so sometimes uh, we evaluate ourselves and we say, Okay, I've got to evaluate myself. And what happens is we will either self-aggrandize or self-deprecate if we evaluate ourselves. In other words, we'll, we'll either put ourselves down or we'll raise ourselves up. We'll either think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. So we're lousy personal evaluators unless we're taking it through the grid of God's word. We really need to look at ourselves not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus. And some of us are afraid to do that because we have a distorted view of God. But if we have a realistic and true picture of Jesus, then we'll be more willing to, to look at ourselves through his eyes because he's loving, kind, patient, gracious, a, a disciplinarian. Yes, he is. We need it. You know, we're, we're a wild stallion, some of us, more than others and need to be broken by a loving Lord. And the Spirit of God is a convictor, and he will convict us of sin so that we'll get right with God. And we ought to thank him for that. But some of us say, I'm too far behind to catch up because we've been drilled into us all our life. I had my chance and blew it. I had a guy once tell me that. He was, God, he was 70 years old. Yeah, John, you know, I blew it my life. I'm I just kind of go through the motions now, but when I was a teenager, I, God called me to missions, and I said no, and so I've been living with that regret my whole life. And he was limping through life because of that rearview mirror stuff. And it was sad to see. He didn't need to be that way. God was ready to, to bless him and to use him, but he thought very low of himself. It was sad. If people really knew me, they'd reject me. Some of us feel that way. Yeah, I put on this act that I miss certain person, but if they really knew me. See, we bought the lie. Do we buy the label the world, the flesh, and the devil has put on us? If we have, we need, we need to investigate that and say, wow, I've, I've been seeing this wrong. I need to see myself through the eyes of Jesus. You know, we need to understand, and I'm closing off this, but I think of false guilt. Another thing that can rob us of peace today, it's false guilt. It's, it's growing up in abuse, different kinds of abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, spiritual abuse. Where people are, you know, using the Bible in some distorted way to bring shame into your life. And it's false guilt. We start feeling guilty for just breathing. Get up in the morning, automatically feel guilty for living. Yeah, we can get there. 
It could be the divorce of parents, and you feel like, well, if I was a better person, my mom and dad wouldn't have gotten a divorce, and so we cause us to limp uh, psychologically. Sexual entrapment in our life. Yeah, we were there. It happened. And uh, if, I, if I'd done this, if I hadn't done that, and, and so we beat ourselves up on that stuff, and it's false guilt because it was entrapment. So the continuous shaming, the bullying, the blaming, and all of that can rob us of contentment, and we need to kind of uh, own it, see it, and then take it to the Lord and get the true picture of ourselves and begin to believe that. And believe me, I mean, I've met with plenty of people over the years who have a hard time believing the truth about themselves because they've accepted the lie for so long. So you picture Jesus looking at you. He's looking at you, and what is the look on his face? I like to ask people that sometimes in counseling because I want to, I want to find out what they think about themselves through the eyes of God. And uh, I've had people say, well, I think he's got a smirk on his face every time he looks at me, a look of just, you blew it, you know. And uh, it's like you're a second-class Christian because, you know, yeah, I, I can't use you. And it's so sad. The look on Jesus' face is one of, hey, I love you. I love you. And I, I know you live in a broken world and, and sin rules in this world. And, uh, and, and you, have, you have sinned. But I have saved you. I've come into your life and given you new life in me. And I want to know where your heart is today. That's what he wants to know. He don't want to... Okay, look at your track record. No, no, no. Where's your heart today? Well, God, I do want to walk with you. I do want to live for you. I do want you to get a hold of my life. Okay, great. Let's go. Let's go. I'm excited. Let's go. That's Jesus. And so his look upon you is, is with hope and expectation. But he, he wants you to humble yourself before him so that he can use you for his glory. Yeah. So God wants us to live fully in the moment. He doesn't want the, the world, the flesh, and the devil to rob us of peace and contentment, even in the midst of a crazy world. And so there's the three, the three keys to learning the secret of contentment, at least in this message. Number one, we are to learn from the past, but we're not to live there. So when you catch yourself, live in there, back out. Get off the rearview mirror. Number two, we are to plan for the future, but we entrust our future to God's care. Don't mean we don't plan. We just trust it to his care. And number three, we are to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus only. Through the eyes of Jesus only. Let's pray together. Father, you're a good God. You love us so much. We are your children. We're a prized possession of yours. And we need to know that. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You love us so much. You have a plan for our life. You want us to enjoy. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And you, you, 
just want us to live the abundant life. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, full, meaningful, every day. So may we not live in the past. May we not worry about the future. May we enjoy your presence and your grace. May we swim in your grace today. You want us to. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this truth that can set us free. We pray it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you, guys.